Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. Um, would you please join me in a moment of prayer? Soul of Christ, sanctify us. Body of Christ, save us. Blood of Christ, inebriate us. Water from the side of Christ, wash us. Passion of Christ, strengthen us. Oh, good Jesus, hear us. Within your wounds, hide us. Permit us not to be separated from you. From the wicked foe, defend us. And at the hour of our death, call us. And bid us come to you that with your saints we may praise you forever and ever. World without end. Amen. So with the apologies to our Roman Catholic brethren, <clears throat> that prayer was uh, a slight alteration of the Anima Christi, a Catholic prayer of medieval origin. I changed a little bit of it. I changed the I's and the me's to we's and us's. And I ended the prayer the way that John, Newton, um, John Henry Newton did by saying, world without end. A few weeks ago, I, I decided to attend uh, a Saturday night mass at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen on Charles Street, north of the city. It's this grand, like, cavernous palace. Even compared to a place like this, it's, it's huge. It's like, it's like the, more, uh, the heyday of Moria. And, 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 and I also found it, though, I found it warm and inviting. The people that night were friendly, and the music was worshipful, and the sermon was inspiring. I even actually saw an old friend that, that I hadn't seen in 20 years who just happened to be sitting across the aisle from me. I'm glad that I went and I'll likely go again. The reason I was there was because I believe that the word ecumenism is a good word, ecumenical. It comes from the, the Greek word oikos, like the yogurt, which means family or household. So to be ecumenical means to treat other Christians as they are in our family because they are. I went to seminary at an ecumenical institute of theology. While, while we would differ on significant things, significant matters, the Roman Catholic Church does say the Nicene Creed with conviction, just like us, which means that they are our brethren, and I don't think that the kingdom is advanced by ignoring each other. Jesus, he, he put it this way in John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You want to know how, you, how the world will know that you're, you're mine? It's the love that you'll have for one another. You know, the word love, it, it's come up before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose letters were probably written before John penned his gospel, said that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this is, Paul says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In each one of those instances, the word love is a variation of the Greek word agape. Agape is one of four different kinds of love that, that, is, that are commonly talked about. If, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you might check out the, the Four Loves book that, that he did. In fact, um, it, it, do yourself a favor and Google or go on YouTube and in the search engine just put in C.S. Lewis Four Loves Doodle. Um, and, and what somebody did was they took C.S. Lewis giving a lecture on the Four Loves um, it, back in the 50s uh, and then illustrates his lecture on the four loves like 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 the bible project if you're familiar with like how that like illustrated like active illustration and they do it to c.s lewis's own voice so you actually get to hear c.s lewis's own voice and this person is like illustrating it as they go along it's really really cool so four loves first there's storge love affection natural love that the kind of love that's like hardwired between a parent or a child or even between a person and an animal. Uh, storge love is often the foundational kind of love. It's, it's, it's a, C.S. Lewis called it the, the nest love, uh, where other kind of loves often grow out of it. It, it. it doesn't have to be, but it could be like the starting point for love. When you see pictures, well, as a lot of us have over the past few weeks, when we see pictures on the news of babies being born in bomb shelters because a power-hungry dictator is bombing their city and something erupts inside of you and says, that's not right, that's your storge, waking up and saying, that's not right. There's also eros, love, that's the fun kind. Um, Erotic, passionate, sexual love, we'll talk about that again in a few weeks. And then there's philia love, Friendship, brotherly, sisterly love. We might call solidarity, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. All three of those kinds of love are very good in their way. But agape, agape is something different. Agape love is unconditional. It's given whether or not it is returned. That is how God, oh, how he agapes us. That's how God loves us, and that is how he intends that we love, agape, love each other. In fact, as we just read, Jesus goes as far as to say that that it's by this principle that, that all others will know that you are his disciples if you have agape for one another. The scholar uh, Marion May Thompson, who wrote a book on the com- a commentary on the book of John, writes that agape moves from the household of faith outward, from the community to the world. In, in commanding the disciples to love one another, Jesus does not envision a love that shrinks from risk or rejection or suffering or that's limited only to each other. Love for one another impels love out to the world. You see, folks, we're called to be a missional beacon of agape, a missional beacon of an unconditional love. To use an intentionally triggering and dangerous word, our love for each other should be infectious. That is why I think ecumenical is such an important word. 
Of course, that's easier said than done, but Jesus did model it for us. I find it so interesting that he told us to love each other as he loved us. We are modeling his love for us, for the world. This speech about love comes just after Jesus did this radically weird thing. So let's rewind back to the beginning of John 13. John 13, the beginning of the what could be called the upper room discourse, the second half of John's gospel. Now, before the feast of Passover, so we, we stop right there, right? The feast of Passover, this should be turning up the volume button on certain themes. We're thinking about deliverance from bondage, freedom from slavery, the exodus. Um, we're thinking about passage through the Red Sea. We're thinking about all that exodus Moses stuff. We're thinking about the feast of Passover is turning up the volume on salvation. This is what a salvation life is going to look like. Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that was another thing. Throughout the first 12 chapters of the book of John, we keep hearing Jesus say repeatedly, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. Like the wedding to Canaan and Galilee, his mother says they run out of wine, and, and Jesus says, Mom, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then he did a sign that pointed to the hour, but it wasn't the hour yet. But now, the hour has come. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having agaped his own who were in the world, he agaped them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, so spiritual warfare is brewing, the spiritual storm is brewing, the storm clouds are gathering. When all that was happening, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he said, guys, we're going to get up from supper, we're going to gather our armies, we're going to muster our forces, and we're going to march on the Roman Empire, and all things have been delivered in my hands, so we're going to take back this empire by violence. No. No. All things had been delivered in Jesus' hands. All authority had been delivered with him have been delivered to him. So what did he do? This is so important. This is so crucially important for us to understand what did Jesus do with power? It's like, the, like in Star Wars when, when the emperor kills Mace Windu and he's like, ah, unlimited power. What did he do with unlimited power? He killed the great Jedi. What does Jesus do with unlimited power? Verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And then he, he started to wipe them dry with this towel that had been wrapped around him. That is what Jesus does. That's what God does with power. This was servant work. Better, let, better yet, this was work of a slave. No, matter, no man of honor and respect would have ever gotten down on his knees and washed a man's feet. You know, in the book of Mark, there's this instance where two of, uh, of Jesus' disciples, the Zebedee brothers, James and John, they asked Jesus for special authority. 
And Jesus tells the whole group, hey guys, you know, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must actually be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. On the cross is where Jesus will truly live out that statement when he dies the death of a slave. But here in John 13, Jesus is modeling the same kind of life that he wants his disciples to live while they're on this earth by washing their filthy feet. The call to servanthood, especially servant leadership, is clear here. But I also find this incredibly affirming, and let's be honest, Public affirmation is awkward. You ever been publicly affirmed by somebody? Somebody like talks about you for a few minutes? Like, that is really awkward. And the awkwardness is clear in the story. I mean, have a look at Peter's reaction in verse 6. John 13, starting in verse 6. So he comes to Peter, Simon Peter, who said to him, uh, Lord, do you wash my feet? And the, and the commentaries tell us that, that the, the words you and mine should be like stressed beyond, like, like stressed intensely. Lord, you, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, Peter, what you're, what you're doing, you don't understand right. What I'm doing, you don't understand right now. But, but afterwards, you're going to understand. And Peter said to him, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. So Peter starts telling Jesus what to do. I, I don't know how that worked out for him in the past. And like that, that, that's a good thing to do now, but you know, that's what he's going with now. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you're, you're not going to be one of my guys. And so Simon Peter said to him, uh, he changes his tune, and he says, well, okay, well, Lord, uh, if that's the case... Um, not only my feet, but also my hands and, and my head. Let me just strip down here, Lord, so you can give me a good scrubbing. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The, the, you took a bath today, Peter. The, the one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, but it's completely clean. And, and you guys, you, you are clean, but not all of you. Because he knew that the betrayer was coming. But, but what's the point here? That we wash dirty things. It's dirty things that need cleaning. So, you know, as we walk into this Lenten season, it's important for us to think, like, what, what about us is dirty? What needs to be cleaned? What needs to be confessed? What needs to be said? What are the words that need to be said? Who's the person that I need to apologize to? Who's the person that I have sinned against? Where have I replaced something else other than God on the throne of my life? What other thing have I placed there, and am I making decisions based on that thing rather than my relationship with God, the living God? But I participated in a foot washing like only one time in my life. It was on a staff retreat when I was an intern at Grace Fellowship Church, and the pastor, he took his time with it. He got down on his hands and knees, and he got this bucket of soapy water and a towel, and he, and he, and he washed each one of our feet while he prayed for us and kind of spoke words of affirmation, telling everybody who was gathered how grateful he was that each of us were on the team. It was incredibly awkward. I hated every second of it. I had no interest in having this done to me. To be honest, I would have been more comfortable doing the washing. 
than being washed. My reaction was like Peter. No, 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 don't do this to other people. Don't do this to me. I'll I'll just wait in the back. But that wasn't humility talking. That was pride. It was my pride. I didn't want to be part of the show. This guy is on his hands and knees washing my feet. What will be expected of me? What what does he want from me? Should I try and shed a tear or something? Because I don't really feel like crying right now. I was consumed with thoughts of how do I appropriately respond to such an embarrassing act? I wasn't embarrassed for him. I knew John 13 was in the Bible. It made sense that he would have to do this or he would do this eventually, that he would make a show of this, but I was embarrassed for me. I didn't want to have to be embarrassed by someone washing my feet. It was a hard time that I had suffering that kindness. I had made it about me instead of what was being done. See, here's the thing about agape love. It's unconditional, and it is done without expectation of return. Jesus didn't wash everyone's feet and then say, all right, guys, now you're all going to wash my feet. No, this was, a, this was a teaching moment, though. Jesus is very clear about that. Verse 12, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you, do you get what, I've, what I'm doing right now? Do you, you understand? Do you see what I just did, guys? Think about what happened. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for, for so I am. But if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash others' feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, and here's this, here's this important word in this passage, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. This is a very pay-it-forward approach to love. I love you, not because I'm expecting anything in return. I love you in hopes that you will go and do likewise to others. In the first century, foot washing made Jesus' point. What, what, what would make the point in 21st century? For starters, I think this clearly speaks to what it means to be a leader, what it means to be an employer, what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a teacher, what it means to be anyone in a position of leadership. And a leader is anyone with influence. A leader is anyone who has influence, and everyone listening to my voice right now has influence on some level, so that means that everyone listening to my voice is a leader. If you have any sort of formal role in leadership, that principle applies all the more. Oswald Sanders, who wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership that you should read, puts the principle like this. He says, true greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself in service to others, not coaxing or inducing others to serve you. True service is never without a cost. Often it comes with a painful baptism of suffering, but the true spiritual leader is focused on the service they can render to God and to other people, not on the residuals, not on the perks of the high office, and certainly not on holy titles. We must aim to put more into life than we take out of it. So so how how does this play out for us? What's the so what there? If you are a student... This means that you treat your teachers with respect and dignity, that you listen to their words, that you take them seriously, that you diligently do the work that they give you to do, but it also means modeling that respect for others, taking the time to help other students along the way. If you're a teacher, 
It means treating your students with dignity and respect. Being the servant leader, not holding your authority over the students, but using your authority to help guide them into the people that you know that they can be. We have several amazing teachers and students in our congregation. If you are an employee, this principle means that you treat your employers and managers with dignity and respect because your boss's boss is God, whether they realize it or not. So ultimately, you are working for God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to do the work that you've been called to do with everything that you have. Refuse to participate in gossip around the office. Be a team player. Ask yourself, do, do the other people working with me, do my coworkers, do my teammates, do they know that I am on their side? Think about that tomorrow with the, with the first coworker you see this tomorrow morning and just ask yourself, does, does this coworker know that I am their advocate, that I am on their side, that I care that they are a part of this team? But as for employers and managers, if you are in a position of leadership, I just have to say first, I am so glad that you are here. I believe that there is no better place to learn about leadership than at the feet of Jesus. You should feel valued and respected by the church community. We are so glad you're here. And it is from this place of dignity and respect that, yes, we remind each other that true greatness is about sacrificial love. The greatest leader is a servant to all their employees. So think about this tomorrow. If you're, a, if you're a manager, if you're an employer, if you have anyone that directly reports to you, think about this tomorrow morning with that first employee that you see. Does this person know beyond a shadow of doubt that I am on their side, that I am their advocate, and that I'm a cheerleader for their success? Does this person know that I care that they're in the room? Now, I wanted to do something this morning that followed Jesus' example. Um, but in the waning days of pandemic, an actual foot washing might kind of seem a little bit out of place. So <clears throat> I was looking for an opportunity to publicly affirm a few people that are in our community. So that's what I want to do. Um, and since we've had a lot of new folks join us over the past year, there, there's one particular group of people, there's one particular team of people that have been doing an awful lot of behind the scenes work over the past two years, especially as we wrestle through what is the best choices that we make in the midst of this pandemic. There's one group of people who have been my sounding board. They've been, they've been the people that I've gone to for wisdom and for, for guidance. And you should know them, New Hope Community Church, because they are remarkable people. So I'd like to take a few minutes right now and I'd like to talk to you about the men and women who serve New Hope Community Church on our elder team. Our lead elder is Kevin Jones. Kevin, you can put your hand up. That's all, that's all I'm going to ask for. You don't have to do anything else other than that. Kevin works for the Department of Defense, and he's dedicated his life to public service. He's also one of the most spiritually mature men that I've ever met in my life. He's often so quiet, he's reserved, and then, you know, in meetings he doesn't say much, and then at some point in the meeting we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, Kevin, what do you think? 
And then this river of wisdom just starts flowing out of him. At work, he's, he's taking time to help lead a fellowship group of, of fellow Christians because he's committed to helping people see that you can worship God in whatever you do, and you can always make time for discipleship and mission. Kevin and his family have meant so much to the life of our church and New Hope. You are so incredibly blessed to have Kevin Jones as your lead elder. Mary Poling is, is on our staff um, and, and as, uh, as a worship leader, but she's also one of our elders. She's not here today because she's helping to lead worship for another church. Like, what do you do with your day off? You know, you go do your job somewhere else. You know, St. Andrew's down in Pasadena. That's where her husband, Jason, who is also New Hope's pastor emeritus, serves as their, their priest in charge. And a few years back, with New Hope's blessing, Jason accepted a call to the Episcopal Church, and Mary stayed on here on staff and on our elder team. The bottom line is, when it comes to the pollings, we wouldn't be the church that we are if it wasn't for them. I mean, name something that you love about New Hope, and it probably has the pollings all over it. And as for me, personally, I, I just wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So Mary, she's on our elder team, and she, she has this deep passion for music, of course. But, but the really special thing about it is that she, she has her priorities straight. She, she understands that first things principle, the, first, the principle of first things first, that when the right thing is at the center of your life, everything else is the better for it. So her deepest passion is Jesus, and she will use everything from Beethoven to Chris Tomlin to make him known. New Hope. You are so blessed to have Mary Poling on your elder team. I first met um, Jen first when she was Jen Monin. She started attending New Hope something like 14 years ago while she was uh, in school to be a pharmacist. And we were in a house church together, and, and, and she started dating this guy, Eric, and, and they lived a ways away from where New Hope was meeting at the time. So after they got married, they went to another church, and we were sad. But, but after we decided to, to move here to Catonsville, the first were actually some of the first people I contacted. You know, Catonsville was, was closer to, to where they lived, and, and they had these two little girls, and I thought, oh, wow, wouldn't it be something if they joined up with us again? So the truth is that the move down here, um, it, was, it was an exciting time when we moved down here, but there was, there was also some pain along the way and some, some relationships that were, were, were hurt um, so, so it wasn't always easy, but I, but I remember texting Jen and saying, breaking news, New Hope's moving to Catonsville. And she remind, responded right away, and she said, I remember seeing the text that she sent back. She said, that's some of the best news I've heard in a long time. Jen is one of the wisest human beings that I've ever met. And if you've ever seen her uh, on the job at the pharmacy, she's just a master. She, you know, Amy and I tries to get all our shots from her. Um, she's just got this like perfect balance of professional competency and cool-headed compassion. You know, she could have worked for one of these big franchises, but instead she chose a local pharmacy, something personal, something service-oriented, and she brings that to the, that, to the elder team. And New Hope, you are so blessed to have Jen first on your team. 
I, I often thank God that when the Chastain family moved to the Baltimore area, God could have put them anywhere, right? God could have put, I mean, there's lots of houses in Baltimore. God could have put them anywhere, but in his infinite love and compassion, he put them two doors down from Craig and Ann Jones, another elder family that was a part of our church for a while. I, I fail to have a category for a God that loves us that much. Oftentimes when the, when the church calls someone to the elder team, it's not about calling them to a role it's about acknowledging this leadership that is already present. So when they finally join the team, it's like, of course. They're already an elder. We're just naming it now. And so I remember one day in an elder meeting years ago when Darcy Bissett, who was also on the team for a while, said, guys, uh, you know, there's somebody that, that, that should be here in the room, and he's not, and it's kind of starting to get a little weird that he's not in the room. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, Steve Chastain. <laughs> yeah, he needs to be in the room. Steve has this brilliantly analytical mind that he complements with this like fierce integrity. Like if something's not right, he will get to the bottom of it. Let's go out, let's get, the, let's get a drink, let's talk through this. He's not afraid of difficult conversations. He's not afraid of challenging questions. He's a teacher even at my alma mater, Parkville High School, which just is all so cool. New Hope, you are outrageously blessed to have Steve Chastain serving on the elder team. So we moved down to Catonsville. This is almost uh, six and a half years ago now. We moved down here because, you know, we felt that the community could use a faith expression, a non-denominational faith expression like ours. Plus, we were excited about the space. Um, this, this space has a lot more room than, than the place that we were previously in. But the primary reason um, that we moved to Catonsville was to partner, was a, a partnership experiment with the Episcopal Church. Like I said, we believed in ecumenism. And we wanted to help the Episcopal Church. We wanted to kind of partner with them as they were going to plant a new congregation in the building. And it was our sincere hope that we would be ministry partners, doing ministry long, uh, alongside one another, two congregations, a beacon of ecumenism for the kingdom. And as we started this partnership, one of our goals was to just have one house church ministry. Like house churches were so important to the life of New Hope. So we said, if we're going to do partnership with another church and kind of be roommates with this Episcopal congregation, let's just have one house church ministry with both of them. Um, so we started having house church, uh, and, and I was in a house church with folks from the Episcopal congregation. Um, uh, and the Graves Davies were a part of that group. So when we got the sad news that St. Hilda's would be no more, I remember going to Katie and Troy, and I remember saying, now, now guys, I, I was very cautious. I was scared to death. I wouldn't want to presume anything. Y you will always be welcome at New Hope, but if you want to stick with the Episcopal tradition, I completely understand. I just want you guys to know how much you mean to us and, and that whatever you choose to do, we understand. And I remember Katie taking a beat and it's like, I really appreciate you saying that. But we're all in for New Hope. And I probably audibly said, like, oh, thank God. <laughs> this family is so incredible. Katie is just this natural fit for our elder team. She brings energy and optimism, but she also has this brilliant gift at communications. She's also, more, most importantly, she is the first one to bring us back to justice, bring us back to how is, is the work of the church affecting our community at large. 
She works for Neighbors Link. It's an organization that helps integrate immigrants into society. She's on, on the board at Catonsville Emergency Assistance. She's an incredible human being. Steve Chastain and Jen First and Mary Poling and Kevin Jones, they are incredible human beings. So that's just the elders. I could have easily talked about each person in this room, I think. I believe that New Hope is a remarkable congregation because all of you are my heroes. And I truly believe that if we follow Jesus' lead of servanthood, if we love one another the way that he loved us, that will be infectious to a watching world. It will help us bring in more and more folks into our community, into Jesus' community, because we love, because we are dedicated to love by his definition of sacrificial servant love. In a few minutes, the worship team's going to come up, and um, I'm so grateful that uh, Art Wong is going to play a tune that, um, well, he's going to tell you about it. But for now, let's pray. Oh, Lord, I'm so grateful for this community. I'm grateful that you have given us the opportunity to love. Like, you don't just tell us to love, you give us, you place us in the midst of this community. I mean, think about the title of that series, God in Our Midst. And what does it mean for God to be in the midst of Catonsville? What does it mean for God to be in the midst of Baltimore? What does it mean for God to be in the midst of our society, our community, our, wa- our world? It means you are active, Lord, in us. We are or what it looks like for you to be in our midst. Father, we're humbled by that. We're not worthy of that, but you are. You call us to follow your lead of sacrificial service because you love us, not because, not because of anything that we've done. You love us because that's who you are. You are a loving Father. And Lord, we seek to respond to that unconditional love. We don't respond to it in order that we might get right with you, but we we respond to it in order to live um, in increasing lives that that are in a manner worthy of, of the call in which you've called us. Lord, help us to be your church. Help us to be your people. Help us to affirm each other publicly. Help us to come alongside each other and say, I'm your advocate. I care about you. I see what you're doing in this world. Keep going. Keep going. Help us to be that word of encouragement to each other. Lord, we give this community, we give our worship all to you. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.